Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's Kentucky Derby weekend. We've got Game 7s left and right in basketball and hockey. Baseball season is in full swing. It is a fun time, my friend. How are you? How did you forget that the Phillies are in the playoffs right now? I said baseball season's in full swing. I figured we'd get to it. All right. Okay, we can get to Reese Hoskins' lack of mustache and how it's powered his uh, the return of his game, right? Uh, we you, you predicted that, Jeff. You said that without the stash, he'd be gone. I'm telling you, it is a huge difference. It is so nice to see him just like swinging freely now, and he just looks loose up there, and it's working. We'll and the team is... We'll huh? pay up in a second when he joins us. Then a little show preview. Dave Spadaro will join us at 4.15. Talk a little Eagles. Uh, Dave Lano calling it, uh, talking at 4.40. Going to talk to him from Flushing. Dave, a little U.S. Open tennis. Have you ever been to the U.S. Open? Yes. Uh huh. I've gone the last few years. It's one of the greatest events to go to. And, and when we go back to normal, I recommend to everybody, not just going, going and getting just a, a day pass where you can yeah. go to all the side courts. That's where all the fun is. That was the fun thing that those back small courts that, you know, only a handful of people are there watching. You're right next to the action. I mean, obviously it's fun to be at center court. That's on TV. We'll talk more about it with Dave. Uh, why don't we talk a little baseball until we get Keith on? Um, you mentioned it. The Phillies are hot, Jeff. Nine out of ten. <laughs> the pitching seems to be holding up a little bit better, although there have been some hiccups with it regard to the relief pitchers, um, especially except for JoJo. Uh, you know, we told you JoJo Romero was going to come up here. Uh, I mean, obviously, you have a different take on him than than his pitching, but he has he's got a zero ERA, a zero point two seven WHIP. Uh, he's been striking people out, and he's he's another lefty arm in the bullpen. I believe JoJo Romero is the perfect Phillies player to wear the powder blues. He could played in them originally with that long hair, mustache. <laughs> totally fits the uniform. Uh, look, the the lineup is hot. The starting pitching, you know, outside of Wheeler and you know Eflin, hot and cold at times. Uh, you know, Aaron. Well, Nova- Wheeler's been really good. He has. I mean, Wheeler's been a really nice acquisition to this team. The team hasn't always supported him Mm -hmm. with the runs that they need. Right. Um, So, you know, that's sort of where everything is with that. Why don't we leave baseball there and uh, we're going to bring up the basketball talk. Uh, Let's get to it. Keith Pompey, uh, you going to help me make some sense of the world right now? Nope. Hello? Keith, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, we'll get the technicals right in a second. Apparently, you stressed him out by asking him that big question. I mean, look, that is you, you don't ask a guest whether he's going to make sense of the world. The world's kind of crazy right now. Let's okay. can we can we just like stick to basketball, I don't want to say yeah, like let, the world anything. <laughs> yeah, I can give you whatever uh, you, can you want. Can you help us make sense of the basketball world as opposed to Jason asking you about the entire world? I could try to. It's going to be no, hard. No, he though. can hear us, but we can't hear him. So we'll work on that in a sec. Keith, you there now? I heard you. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? All right, we'll work on the technicals, Jeff. Let's talk a little Sixers for a sec with what's going See, on. See, we can't make we can't ask him to make sense of the entire world. We can't make sense of the show yet. Well, we have a hard enough time doing life at this point. <laughs> it, it's so, moving pains, right? Yeah, it is. We'll get mm-hmm. it all right. You know, we'll figure out how to do a radio show again. Only been a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> it's only been five years. We'll get it right eventually, right? 
did it right. You know, mm-hmm. tapping little gremlins in the radio. Uh, tell me, have you? Read- you know what you could do? Why don't you just pick somebody's name and start a rumor about a coach is going to be hired any minute now? You could do that. Well, you wouldn't be the first people to do that. What other people <laughs> seem to do. Uh, do you enjoy the coaching rumors and carousel? No. Everything? No, I, I just want a coach at this point. Were you surprised that uh, Steve Nash was hired so quickly? Uh, yeah, and so quietly. I, I was amazed at how quiet it was. Yeah, how did that happen? How did they keep it secret? Because that, that came out of nowhere to me. I didn't even realize that. I don't know. I, I, I you kind of wonder whether or not that was an that was a Nets thing, and that had something to do maybe with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and kind of what they wanted. I don't know. I think I hear Keith a little bit there. We have you now, Keith. Yeah. Can you hear me now? There we, we go. Can. The our board ops just too busy trying to have a conversation with you. He didn't want to share you with us. That's see, really what's going on see, here, Keith. What we thought happened was Jason asked about the world. Um, and whether or not you were going to make sense of the world. And I told him that that was kind of a tall order for anybody at this point. So yeah, I'm yeah. going to rephrase the question and say, can, can you make sense of, of what's going on or not going on with the Sixers? Uh, that's a tough one right there. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, I, I think that the 76ers, like a lot of people are focused on the coach, but I, I think the 76ers have to get everything in order right now. I mean, you know, they need much more than a coach, and I think a lot of people are rushing, and they want them to hurry up and do this and, and, and do other things. But, um, you know, I, I think that the organization just needs to reboot. And and also we got to realize this is a pandemic and where, um, you know, things aren't happening the way they used to, especially when some of your coaching candidates, your top coaching candidates, are still, you know, with teams playing in the in the bubble right now. So, it's a little different. So, what is the, what is the reboot need to look like or what is it that they need to do other than with the coaching search? Um I, I think they need to shore up their front office. That's the the first thing. I mean, well, I shouldn't say the first, but that's one of the things they have to do. Um, you know, secondly, they they got to figure out this roster. You know, because, you know, if, if you got pieces that don't fit, and I know everybody wants a coach that's going to work magic, but if the pieces don't fit, it's going to be hard. You know, so they got to figure out, like, who's, who goes, who stays. They have to figure out if <laughs> if the people we want to leave, can we get them to leave, which probably won't happen. So there's a lot, man. I mean, it's, it's kind of like when your house is uh, d- uh, demolished, right? Or or you ransack and you go in the house and and you're trying to say okay where do I start at I mean what what piece of furniture do I lift over first I mean what do I get I mean you know what I mean it's like so much that they have to do that it's hard to say like okay where do you start right about now you know a lot of people are talking about the coach um, but and and that is a big piece but I think that they have a lot of different um, things that they have to get, they have to get accomplished. All right. Well then play general manager. If Keith Pompey was running the Sixers right now and had authority to do whatever he wanted to do as president, where would you start? Um, in regards to the roster, in regards to the team, what, if if you were going to sit there and you were going to figure out exactly what needs to happen first, what would be the first thing you would do? The first thing I would do is, um, 
that's a that's a great question. But the first thing that I would do is, I mean, first thing I would try to do is I would try to shore up the. Well, first of all, you would place a call out to certain people who you you want to get for the coaching thing, and just let them know, like you know, just get a filler to see. But you know, um, see where where their mindset is, right? Um, but I would also do my due diligence on getting a coach because you know, just because everyone says this is the best candidate doesn't necessarily mean that he'll fit in with what you have, right? But while I'm doing that, I'm, like, basically trying to clean house on the front office, right? I'm trying to get somebody in here who knows who's who's the most knowledgeable in regards to basketball in here, someone who's good with a rebuild, a real rebuild, not tearing it down and starting back up with the tanking. I'm talking about someone who has a track record, who is able you know, who's well respected in the league and is someone who can help Elton Brand out and from that you know from that instances. So those are the two things that I would do. And then from there, that first round pick that we have, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking long and hard about, you know, hey, do I want to move up? Do I want to like include that in the draft pick? I mean, that in in a trade with with a possible player to see if I can get someone that can can fit the roster right now because you know let's face it you know right now the Sixers championship window some people can argue close this season so it's going to be really competitive the um next year and in the following season so you're saying oh I'm going to develop this guy now it depends are are you just going to tank or not tank or are you just going to rebuild and like say hey you know we'll get a first round team and, and then lose, or if I'm trying to win it, build a champion, if I'm trying to build a champion, then I'm going to try to have to get, you know, reshape the roster and get somebody in here who can fit in with Joel or Ben. You me- <clears throat> you mentioned Joel and Ben, uh, two superstars, take a bunch of criticism, some of it earned, some of it, you know, questionable at times. At the end of the season, Charles Barkley said he wants them to grow up and be professional, uh, also called Joel lazy one do they care about critiques like that and two what do does this team need for buy-in from Ben and Joel to get them to take the next step in addition to just a coach because as you mentioned a coach can't make the players actually advance their skills without the players buying in I mean I don't think anybody I don't think they care I mean think about it I mean people this is like year three that this off season that we're all going to talk about Ben Simmons needing a jumper, right? Each year we come back and everybody says his jumper improved, but it hasn't, right? So if he, if if he cared about what people thought of him, then I think that he would have worked on it or he would have tried to shown it more in the games. In regards to Joel, <coughs> Joel is Joel. I mean, Joel Barkley will criticize him, and one minute he'll say Barkley's right. And then months later, weeks later, he'll come back and say, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, so, no, I don't think they care. And, and yeah, you got to get buy-in, but at the same time, you know, the one thing that we're all talking about is, you know, we, we all have kids, we're parents, you know, whatever. If you allow people to do what they want to do, you know, you can't, like, have them buy-in three years later. You know, and then something else that a lot of people think, everyone keeps saying – you got to bring in a disciplinarian. You got to bring in a disciplinarian. Well, these two guys have proven and have shown that they run the organization right now. So if you bring in someone now, 
is going to be kind of sort of like, are they going to listen to them? So you got to get some of the buy-in comes from someone that they can respect, someone who's won rings as a player, someone who won rings or won a ring, you know, as a coach. So I think that that's what they get because when that person talks and he can say, okay, this is what I did with X, X player, you know what I mean? This is what we did to make sure that they were in a great position to, to win a championship. This is the work ethic that he's shown. You know, and, and nothing against Brett Brown, but, you know, when you start talking about the Spurs, you know, you going back in the day, these guys can't really relate to them because that's a long time ago in their eyes. You know what I mean? So I think that you have to get someone who actually not was an assistant coach on championship teams, but someone who was the head coach and someone who was a player on a championship team. That's where the buy-in comes in at. Watching these NBA games the last two days, five of the five of the six games ended at the buzzer. Uh, the talent that's on the court in the NBA right now is spectacular. Um, it does not seem, watching it, that the Sixer, Sixers roster as constructed is anywhere near some of these teams. How far away are the Sixers in terms of that rebuild? And what's their ability with how hamstrung they are with cap space in a year where economically people may not want to take on that salary at this point? It's hard to say how far away they are. I mean, but I will say this, that right now I'm looking at the Sixers um, as probably being the seventh best team in the East next year. You know, now some things could happen, you know, with with the Sixers in regards to, you know, making trades and stuff like that. That's the reason why, you know, I would hate to say, you know, put a year number on it. But what I'm saying is that I don't see them the way this roster is currently constructed. Um you know, being any better than the seventh best team. Now, they could slide up to six because we don't know what what Indiana's going to do, but I believe that Indiana's roster is, is way better constructed, right? Now, some people say Victor Oladipo may try to leave, and that could hurt Indiana. But when you look at the 76ers, you know, as, as far as, yes, they are extremely hamstrung because, you know, you look at Tobias Harris's contract, he's making 180 you look at Al Horford's contract, he's making $97 million guaranteed. Um, you know, those are going to be two contracts that are hard to move, right? And then you look at, then you say to yourself, do I want to do a full rebuild and basically get rid of one of my two stars? If you do that, you know, you're basically, you're probably not going to get equal value for those guys. You'll probably, probably get maybe a couple players in return for that. And so that could help out your roster, but you're losing one of your superstars. So, you know, right now the Sixers are in a tough spot, you know, just because of, like you said, that their that, that roster construction and they get they have so much money going out. You know, you have two guys that you don't want to trade, but you may have to. And then you have two guys that you may want to trade, but you probably can't. So the Sixers right now are in a tough spot. All right, Keith, before we let you go. The big question. Are you excited about Pitt football returning soon? Uh, <laughs> nah. <laughs> Are you excited right. about Michigan returning on Thanksgiving? Uh, not going to happen. You don't see it? I don't see it happening. I don't know what's going to happen. College football is just a mess. Yeah, Dabo Swinney says, don't wait for him. <laughs> Give me my title. That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> yep. He, he ain't waiting. 
he said yeah. uh he said don't wait for the for the uh big 12 big 10 and uh back 12 to start all That's right well up. well keith keith everybody in this city is now and i know people outside of the city who follow the sixers are are watching your feeds waiting to hear what's going to happen next where can they if they don't know where to get them whichever most people do where can they get you oh you can get me on uh on twitter at pompey on sixers or you could go to inquire.com and 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 go to the sixers page and uh, get my stories you can catch keith on his locked on sixers podcast too where he and jeff often uh Go at it a little bit. I enjoy that. One day I will uh, go and uh, have fun with them too. And if you want to learn we'll, about we'll the Sixers. We'll have you on this week, yeah. next week. All right. I'm down. We got to set it up for the, yeah, we, we'll have you on next week. All right. Sounds, May. Sounds All right. good. Have a good holiday, man. All right, fellas. All right. All right peace. Bye. Bye. Jeff, we're just going to switch sports. We'll, we'll get back to breaking down the basketball afterwards. You, you ready to get some football talk going on is it i know you are uh, you've been waiting for this for a long time dave uh, are you excited for the eagle season to start Darrow, how are you today sir yeah hi boys uh i was yeah i want to hear as the sixers coach is going to be but i mean um yeah i'm very excited I, I i think everybody's kind of like still holding breath collective breath and saying are we actually going to have a season it's been such a um obviously once in a lifetime training camp preseason all that uh but yeah, the NFL is on on track to have a season, and I honestly can't wait to see what this Eagles team's all about. It's been, you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of change, and you kind of just don't really know until you get to the regular season what the team's going to be all about. It's definitely different with what's going on. What are you What are you seeing out there for fan? You know, it's not as open with fans able to get to camp. A little more challenging for media. What's the feel of? The team right now, it kind of snuck up on us. There's no preseason games. All of a sudden, we're under a week from football kicking off. I mean, in, in total disclosure, it's hard to tell because they only had two days of hitting, of tackling, uh, because there have been so many injuries, because there have been players' days off, and we haven't seen Miles Sanders in weeks. We only saw a little bit of Deshaun Jackson. So I, I really don't know. I mean, uh, the offensive line's been ravaged by injuries. I see a defense that's really fast. We'll see how they come together. They're they're missing key pieces. Um, I'm going to go with the idea that the Eagles are are with the, the fact that they've got a, a veteran coaching staff here that they have a chance to start the season well against Washington. But until they get into that spot and, and until we can see that this offensive line, whatever in whatever constitution it will be that they can block what should be a very good Washington front. You know, I, I can't I, – I, we're all going to be learning the same way. When, when you don't – you know, ever, I've for so many years, guys, I've heard, oh, why do they play these preseason games? Oh, it's such awful football. Oh, well, guess what? Everybody missed the preseason this year, didn't they? Jeff didn't, but I did. You, yeah, you miss it because you get a chance to kind of see the team, and you miss it because you get a chance to know the team and to get uh, learn the team and, and – and, and you get to look for yourself. And without that, you, you, you're kind of going in blind. As impressive as some of the young players have been, how do you know how they're going to react to their first real game with no fans? As impressive as veterans are, how, who, who play with emotion, in part generated by fans, how will they react when there's no fans at FedEx Field next Sunday? So it's, it's extremely intriguing to see how this whole thing comes together. 
Dave, with no preseason games and all the things that you're talking about, does having a veteran coaching staff, is this a season where that matters more than most? I would think so. You know, there's not as much initial scrambling to get your point across, your schemes across, your verbiage across, the day-to-day schedule. Um, So I would imagine so. I hope so, because the Eagles are the only team in the division with a returning coaching staff. So I hope that that's an advantage for the Eagles, and I think it would be, should be. But, hey, never had a situation where I was coming off of no preseason summer. So I – that's I hesitate to predict anything because, frankly, we are in in new territory. You mentioned some of the injuries early on. Haven't seen Miles Sanders in a few weeks. Uh, Jalen Rager hurts his shoulder. Looks like he may miss the start of the season. Uh, Will Parks now out four to six weeks. What are you seeing in terms of the depth that's able to fill in for obviously some names that haven't been playing? It seems like Miles Sanders may be good to go as we go forward, but Rager and Parks look like they'll be out to start the season. I wish I could tell you. I mean, you know, the Eagles brought in a lot of defensive backs. They have numbers. They have names. The idea was to, I think, play a lot of nickel and dime personnel packages defensively. And Will Parks was going to be a big part of that and will be a big part of it when he's healthy. Um, without him, I don't know, is Kayvon Wallace ready to play football? I have no idea. Um, without Alshon Jeffrey, potentially, without Jalen Rager, is J.J. Ortega-Whiteside better than he was last year? Well, he looks like he is. Is Deshaun Jackson healthy? Yes, he looks great. Greg Ward looks better. Rookie John Hightower, impressive in the summer. But... I hope so. Running back, you know, if you don't have Boston Scott right now, the Eagles have three. Eagles have three healthy running backs, on, three running backs on the roster. So if you don't have Miles Sanders, and I don't know if that's the case, but if you don't, you've got Boston Scott and Corey Clement, and we know both of those players. So there's a sense of comfort there, but you need more than just two. So you know, it's just, it's just. I mean, it's really going to be more than ever a uh, how you adjust to the injuries, to the COVID, to the changing circumstances. Um, and I think that's probably where the coaching staff will come into play as much, if not more than anything. Well, one of the constants on offense has been Zach Ertz. George Kittle signed in the offseason for $75 million. Travis Kelsey signs for 57 and change. Um, what is the status of getting Zach Ertz, and or do the Eagles feel any sense of urgency to get him, or do they just think they're going to turn it over to Dallas Goddard? I think that that's a big unknown. There's two years left in his contract. And one thing that you really have to watch is the NFL's salary cap landscape. Because without fans in the stands, there will be fewer dollars generated and the salary cap will go down next year. And the Eagles' salary cap situation for next year is very, very tight. So I have no idea what they're going to do with Zach Ertz, other than the fact that he's, he's signed through 2021, extremely valuable guy, 65 catches away from setting the all-time franchise record, resting that away from Harold Carmichael. But as far as contracts go, I don't know. I don't know where the Eagles uh, look. I don't. I, I know they always work magic, but the days of big signings and going after the the plums of free agency for next year, I that is going to be very difficult terrain. Very difficult. So 
you deal with it when you know when you when you need to. Eagles don't need to deal with that right now. I want to ask you about two of the quarterbacks, uh, Carson coming in, something to prove again this year. Um, you know, for himself personally, uh, and then Jalen Hurts there in the quarterback room. What's it like with the quarterbacks on this team right now, and um, how does the team feel going into the season with what they have there? Yeah, I think they feel really good. Carson, uh, until he had his, his injury, which he's, I think he's fine, looked really good in camp. I mean, looks stronger. Um, obviously knows the offense, has weapons around him. Um, will only be as good as, as his offensive line is. And I cannot stress that enough. But yeah, Carson looks fine. Jalen Hurts looks like he's a rookie who needs every single rep that he can possibly get and didn't have one single rep in a preseason game. Um, big arm, throws well on the run, but what we see in practice versus what we'll see in a game is totally different. So, I mean, I don't think any, I don't think any rookie uh, quarterback is going to be ready, whether it's Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts or whomever it is. It's without preseason games, you know, you are just, and without the spring, you just can't make up those, those reps. And then Nate Sudfeld's been up and down. Um, you know, Nate Sudfeld. Now look with Hurts, terrific athlete. Could they move him around, make, make, make a little, some packages for him? Sure. Don't know if that's in the plan. Don't really know if you want to take Carson off the field. And Nate Sudfeld, your veteran backup. So um, it is not the Eagles. You know, they, there's given the fact that Nate's thrown 25 passes in his NFL career and Jalen's thrown zero, this is uh, the least experienced depth chart at quarterback that I think I can remember. Um, as as we go forward, uh, the one thing I, I saw separate from the team, Jeffrey Lurie did his press conference. Uh, last week, uh, he spoke, spoke very passionately and eloquently about the state of the team, but more importantly, the state of society and, and everything that's going on with the players. Um, what's the feeling with the organization after that and the passion that he showed uh, to try and get involved and make a difference? Yeah, I think that players really appreciate Jeffrey's social awareness, and he's always been a very socially conscious man and cares deeply about the community. And um, certainly when he spoke to the media on Sunday, let it all hang out there. So, um, you know, the players released a social or will release a social video, you know, they're putting that together. And it's certainly something on the minds of everyone. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I applaud Jeffrey for, for his comments and for his, and it's not just his comments, it's the way he supports uh, the freedoms of his players and his organization and understands that, what's happening in America is far greater than what happens on the football field. Dave, even though that's the case, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is, is whether or not what's going on outside the locker room with all the social justice discussion, whether or not it's going to change the landscape for the way that free agency happens. Yes, there is always the almighty dollar, but is it going to be a situation where uh, player, or do you think it's going to be a situation where players actually, when if they can get similar contracts, that they're going to want to come to some place that has an owner like Jeffrey Lurie, who supports these kinds of things, maybe versus somebody else who might be in Texas who isn't willing to say anything. I don't know. Then you know, look, I I, I don't know that, but I, I because at the end of the day, Texas doesn't have state income tax, and Pennsylvania does, right? Right. <laughs> um, and players have a very finite. Uh, playing career so but I will I will say that Philadelphia is always very attractive to players not just for Jeffrey and his commitment and the Novacare complex and the facilities it's the fans it's the city it's the culture it's the 
you know, the avidity of this area, this region for the Philadelphia Eagles, and the players appreciate that. And um, so I think that makes a bit of a difference. But I think ultimately it does come down to the contract mostly and being in a winning environment. And, and the Eagles are in a, in a, a winning culture here um, with great expectations. So I, I don't think that will change. I just, I'm just telling you that <laughs> we always go, oh, God, you know, every single – Alvin Kamara gets into a, a reported little role with the Saints. Let's go trade for – let's go make a deal for Alvin Kamara. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, not happening? Uh, no, and Jadavian <laughs> Clowney and all those just they just can't happen. They can't. The Eagles well, Ad- Adrian Peterson's available. Yeah, another old guy who runs straight ahead really fast. Does he play special teams? Does he block? What does he do? And that's, I guess, the question I, that Washington per- asked before they I, cut him. I personally believe. I personally believe that running back. And I, I, look, I'm not judge. I'm not ruling out a veteran. Because what they have, Eagles have right now. I mean, there's, I just don't see two or three backs on their active roster, but you can keep on the practice squad and bounce them up on game days. I think running back's the easiest position in the league to fill. And I just don't think you spend big money on running backs because they are literally the easiest. You know, you find them throughout the draft. You find them after the draft. You can coach them to get better. I mean, I just think that that's just a position where you don't go bonkers. So I'm sure Adrian Peterson will find a job and he's still got some legs left. Um, I, don't, I just don't know if I see it in Philly. Well, Dave, we always appreciate the time. Obviously, the season will be a little bit different this year, but can't wait to get it started. Uh, yeah, a little bit. It'll be it'll be a little bit different. But I'll tell you what, I've really enjoyed watching the hockey, the basketball. Haven't watched a ton of baseball, but you know, we all make the we all make the adjustments needed as viewers, as fans, the leagues, and so once it starts. It's going to be very welcomed. I think the league has done a great job with its testing, and the players have been really diligent. And it'll it'll be so great to see on Thursday night, uh, Kansas City and Houston, and then next Sunday, the Eagles and the football team play. So I I, I can't wait for it to start because guys, I, I speak the truth. Like I don't really know what to expect because there just hasn't been that kind of training camp where you go, all right, well I, I get a sense of what this team's all about. I think they're going to be good, but I also recognize that the offensive line is a big challenge. That's the first priority for the Philadelphia Eagles. All right. Well, before we let you go, I guess we should ask you the big question. Who's going to be the Sixers coach? <laughs> I'm, 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 on, I'm on the Kenny Atkinson train. Okay. I don't even know if he's in the mix, but I'm in the Kenny Atkinson train. All right. We'll write that down. We know it's not going to be All Steve right. Nick. He's already out of the running. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dave, again, thanks for the time. Uh, everybody follow Dave at Eagles Insider. Uh, look forward to seeing you on game day and everything else. And uh, you take care of yourself, okay? Thanks, guys. Anytime. Stay in touch. Jeff, it's, uh, I can't believe how fast the season snuck up. And I know you're still like anti preseason football, but no way, man. You're wrong. Like, you just, I haven't, no, 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 no. no, no. Look, look, <laughs> I, I think that there's preseason football is too long. I didn't say we shouldn't have any. There has to be, Dave's right. I mean, you have a situation now where you just don't know. There are so many variables that go into this season and nobody knows i you just haven't seen anything what was your question maybe i can answer it for you not as well as dave but go I mean, for it i don't not that i think he could have answered it but i just mm-hmm. wondering whether the team was surprised that jason peters came back asking for more money with the offensive line i i, I still I'll, an- I'll answer your question i don't think you're, they're surprised at it i mean look there's a bigger value on that position that he would supposedly be moving to um, 
I don't think he would get it, especially like Dave said, you have a situation where the salary cap is tight. You don't have the revenue coming in. He did sign the contract. What's he going to do? Is he going to shut it down and say, I'm not playing? That, that would be a heck of a move by a player who came back, who's been with this team, who was with this team through a Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden he would abandon the team because he wanted more money because they were asking him to do what a teammate should do. That would be a bad look, and I just don't see Jason Peters doing that. He just doesn't seem like that's the kind of guy he would be. You want me to set you up to go off for your next bad luck? Go for it. Take me to Minnesota, Jeff. Tell me about Kirk Cousins. How does he feel about playing around in the era of COVID? It's just so irresponsible for what I mean, for him to sit there and just say, if I die, I die. Uh, to make the comments about masks. I mean, why do we have to keep having these discussions? And from a very practical perspective, the look that you have from all of these camps, from all of these sports is making sure you're tested, making sure you're limiting your contact and making sure you wear a mask, right? I mean, that that's, that's what the leagues are doing in order to survive this. And in order to, in some cases, like the NBA and the NHL, thrive at least from a health perspective i mean under the circumstances those two sports have done amazing things baseball has they seems to be seem to be getting it together but they're still having these i know people keep calling them hiccups it's not a hiccup it's a problem when somebody gets sick or gets somebody gets the virus now you're going to have the nfl with even more people who are going to be in closer contact who as as john madden used to call it when they'd hit each other they'd be slobber knockers the slobber is what's transmitting the disease. And you have the captain, I assume he's the captain of the team, saying he doesn't want to wear a mask. He doesn't think it matters. And if he dies, he dies. You want to be in a huddle with him? Do you want to be on the field with him? Or if you're the opposing team, do you want to tackle him? I mean, maybe that's his move. He figures maybe nobody will touch him if he's, if he's back there and he doesn't do these things. It's just an irresponsible thing to do. And I'll take you back to the Charles Barkley comment that they're not role models. People listen to them. Look at what's going on with the NBA. They are role models. People are listening to them. Sometimes they listen to the wrong things. You should be listening to scientists. You shouldn't be listening to quarterbacks. But there are going to be people that wear Kirk Cousins jersey that are going to say, if Kirk Cousins doesn't think I should wear it, I don't have to wear it. It just doesn't make sense. I just thought of Drago. When he said it, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> it, it, look, Kirk Cousins has been prone to saying stupid things and making a jerk of himself. And okay, he did it again. Congratulations. Hey, look, if you don't want to wear a mask, that's whatever. Come on. If I die, I die. One of the best commercials I've ever seen is the one that is with regard to what's going on is where the people keep saying, I wear a mask for, and it's somebody else. He's the captain of a team. Teams are about doing something that is best for the group, not just not doing what's best a for you. Political thing. We're just right. practical. Statement. It's a team thing. It's a, yeah. it's a health thing. Cause if he gets it, 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 that's it. I mean, if the quarterback of your team and I don't know who even know who their backup is this year, but if, if your starting quarterback is out for any length of time, and this is the reason he's out, this is something that in most cases you can control if you are them. I mean, we're not getting tested like they are. So they have the opportunity to control this more than we do. If you if you get a, a, a broken kneecap, if you break your ankle, if your arm goes out, 
That's something you can't control. But this is something that Kirk Cousins can control. And as a leader and as a responsible citizen, he should be doing. For the sake of time, I'm going to leave football there because we have to get some Flyers hockey. That's why we'll see what time we have left after Dave Leonard to recap everything. Game else. seven. Oh, the two best words in sports. Yeah. Game um, seven of, game of seven NHL playoffs. A playoff hockey. Uh, the Flyers win it in double overtime last night. Jeff, I know you're wide awake watching. Get out. Okay. <laughs> you know, you're going to give me a hard time about these things. I, look, I watched it. I watched it again this morning. Uh, I made it through, <laughs> through the replay. <laughs> you stayed up this morning to watch the replay? <laughs> yes, I, I fell asleep. What can I tell you? Off days you have to. <laughs> sleep all night, sleep all day. Okay. <laughs> it, 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 they, uh, I don't know what's up with Claude Giroux, but he seems to come through in these moments. But you keep wondering where he is before they need to get to these moments. He's taking what a lot of criticism to get to this point, but game five comes up with the goal, game six with a really important assist. Um, he, How important is Scott Lawton to this team? He's been huge. He, he's been enormous. The game winning goal, what was it? Game winning goal in game five. The game tying um, goal to last night. Last night, mm-hmm. I, all over the ice. Um, it, it's, but look, they, they're not in that game without Carter Hart last night. They had so many defensive breakdowns. Um, and, you know, people who didn't watch the game would sit there and go, what are you talking about? They, he gave up four goals. No, no. You have to watch that game to see. First of all, they were being outshot by more than double. Second of all, the defense was just turning over the puck in their own zone like there was no tomorrow. They that, have to stop that. That's a huge problem for this team. I was, I was saying to you, they try to sort of push it out up the middle with these long passes and they're just intercepted and turnovers back in the zone. And Hart has been unreal this series. And that's what a goaltender can do in the NHL playoffs. He can steal you a game. But what's happening? The the flyer under Vigneault that seemed to have gone away. I mean, for the last couple of years, it was, you just banged your head against anything you could bang your head against watching the flyers turn the puck over in their zone this year, especially when they went on this run. And since they've been in the bubble, they have not been doing it. This series seems, especially the last couple games, seems to be more of that. Well, I happen to think that in both of these series, they've tried to play the game of their opponent. And they, they're not playing their own game at times in the game. They get caught up in that. And, you know, they, they just don't have the personnel to play the Islanders game. And they have to play their game and and dump it and go in and chase and, and cycle it around the boards and, and get your good passing and stay in the zone. Um, and that's just not happening at times. Uh, well, here's here's the good and the bad. The, the Flyers division is going to be great for a long time now. The Flyers are on their way up. The Islanders are on their way up. The Rangers are on their way up. The only team that may be on the way down, the Capitals are kind of uh, they're kind of falling. And, and if you're a Capitals fan, which we're not, you got to wonder. All of a sudden, they go from Stanley Cup to Barry Trotz gets fired, goes to the Islanders, and the Islanders are in a game seven of the semis of the conference. Before we move to talk to tennis, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Oscar, mention Oscar Lindblom. Uh, I know you have your concerns about his health and coming back. Mm-hmm. Pretty inspiring to see that guy back on the ice last night. Oh, it's an incredible story. Look, from a from a, a human interest story, it's an incredible story. I mean, 
who doesn't, I know I do on, on an Oscar strong shirt. It, it's he, what he's gone through is inspirational the way the flyers and whether, and the whole league has handled it and, and been there for him. And for him to be back only nine months after this diagnosis is absolutely incredible. I mean, I lived in Pittsburgh during the Mario Lemieux issues. Um, and it was inspiring to see that back then. It's inspiring to see Oscar now. I just don't know whether or not he, obviously they've made that decision. They obviously know more than we do, but it, it just seems like messing with the chemistry in any way at this point. I don't know if the upside is worth it. Having him skate with the team, I thought was pretty much what they were going to do. I really didn't think that he was going to end up in a game. I want to see him get the game winning goal in game seven. Make the story a happy ending. If that if that happens, it's a movie. It, it's a it's a movie. You know, next year it's a movie. Uh, game mm-hmm. seven Saturday night at seven thirty. I will be anxious with my stomach in knots. Jeff, will you be able to stay awake for that? One? I'll take a nap. Okay, just checking. Yeah. Let's go talk some tennis. Bring on Dave Lano out in Flushing. <laughs> uh, Dave, how is the tennis out there? What is it like this year? Oh, it's definitely different, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm actually talking to you from the largest tennis stadium in the world, Arthur S. Stadium. But as everybody knows, it's a little bit different without any fans around the grounds. Uh, the staff is you know, encouraged to, to walk by the outer courts when they're not walking and uh, when they're not working and cheer on you know, some of the players or just see what's going on. So definitely the vibe is very quiet, but it's a very controlled, safe environment. Uh, along with the players, the staff here, we're being tested every four days. Everybody's wearing a mask. It's very safe. And, and the tournament is going on really strong. There's just one player from the men's side, Benoit Pair, who had to pull out because he did test positive uh, for COVID-19. But everybody else uh, is doing great, and we're moving on today. We're in the midst of uh, a third-round uh, matchup. Doubles are in the second round, so it's a lot of fun here on day five. So, Dave, as somebody who go, I go to the U.S. Open every year, I like to go to the early rounds and go to all the backcourts. And you see the players like a lot of sports, but I think a lot more, especially the U.S. Open more than the other majors in tennis, is the players feed off of the energy of the crowds. What has been the take of the players as far as how they're adjusting to that? Well, they've had to make a great adjustment. I think they're yelling at their own coaches and their box, if you will. I'm trying to get them pumped up. There's a huge adjustment. You're right. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, Yesterday, after I was doing some radio play-by-play, I went out to two outer courts, and on one side is Gregor Dimitrov, who lost to Futsevich, and on the other side was Francis Tiafa, who won five sets over John Millman. So I'm watching one point to my left, and then when that point gets over, I'm turning around and watching an up-and-coming U.S. player, Francis Tiafo. And the beauty of the side courts, for those that, that don't understand what you're talking about, is you can spend $60, $65 on a grounds pass, and you don't have a ticket inside the, the big Arthur S. Stadium, but you have access to see top 10, top 15 men and women playing on these backcourts, and you can be from you know, 15 feet from the baseline to watching them in the stands. This year, obviously, there's nobody there, so I'll have to look over six or seven people. But the question you're asking is what's the vibe of the players, and the vibe is it's this really a contrast from what it is before. I mean, they're pumping themselves out. They're screaming like Novak Djokovic here. I know he plays on inside Arthur Ashe Stadium, but they're, they're yelling more. They're screaming to pump themselves up. But remember this, and this transcends all sports. All these men and women here at tennis, and this is everything you can relate it to soccer, you can relate it to hockey. When they're juniors, when they're young kids, and we've all been through like this, you're playing in front of nobody. When you're in the minor leagues, I remember doing games where there's 
11 people in the stands in minor league hockey. And so they have to channel what it was like back then coming up on the tour. And I think everybody here is under, under immense pressure because this is the chance to make some money at a Grand Slam different from an ATP 250-500 or a high-level WTA women's event. So with a lot of tournaments that are unfortunately canceled because of COVID-19 around the world, French Open is expected after this. There's a lot of pressure on those side courts, even on the big courts, of these players to deliver. And without fans, I mean, that's still not an excuse. You've got to deliver when it's counted on. And that's why I think a lot of these uh, men and women here want to keep advancing to make some money because the rest of the year, uh, aside from the French Open, is really uncertain right now. I was listening to some of your coverage earlier, actually. What's it like for a broadcaster to, to call a match with no fans there? You've obviously called some other sports uh, without fans there. What, what's this like for you? It's very different. Um, you're used to, you know, just seeing people. And the, I, I love that even if you're not a huge tennis fan, I encourage everybody listening that you got to make your way to the U.S. Open one day because even if you just appreciate athletics or tennis, um, just to see these players hit in person and how they move on the court and their fitness is at a peak level. I mean, these guys and girls run can run for days. As a broadcaster, you know, I'm wearing a mask when I'm broadcasting on radio. I'm calling radio off the monitor. So we have a bunch of our staff that are calling matches from the top of Arthur Ashe Stadium, looking down if they're calling in an Ash match or if they're calling an Armstrong match or let's say it's court five, court 10, court 12. They're calling it off the monitor upstairs in Ash. And I'm in a building, uh, very safe, spaced out in a mask, uh, doing the play-by-play off the screen. So it's very challenging because you need to be on top of everything. You're basically following, oh, gosh, I maybe four to five different screens I'm doing play-by-play. So I'll, I'll do a match on Armstrong. And then I'll say when, that, when the players make a change, you know, when, after every odd game, I'll go back over to, all right, now we're going to go inside Arthur Ashe Stadium. And then there's a break there. Okay, let's go over to court five. On the interesting matches of the day, I'm following all these different TV screens that I have producers that are helping me out going from one court to the next. And there's we get different mixes, uh, which you guys know about, where we're picking up the audio from that court so it sounds perfectly on the radio. And it's, it's just an extremely different atmosphere because there's no foreign media here. ESPN is the, is the uh, host rights holder. So they're providing the feed all around the world. And our friends from from France or from Japan or England. They're not here. So they're calling it off the monitor back home. So I feel very privileged that I'm credentialed to be here and broadcasting uh, the largest tennis event in the United States. Separate from COVID and the conditions, uh, let's talk matches. What are some of the storylines of the tournament so far? We saw some upsets, Grand Slam winners go down, Andy Murray out of the tournament. Um, what, what are you seeing there and the news that our listeners should follow as we head into the second week of tennis. Yeah, well, on the men's side, you mentioned Murray. Uh, he lost to a young up-and-coming Canadian, uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime. To me, it wasn't really a surprising uh, result because Murray's coming back from injuries, battled a lot of hip injuries and other ailments over the past few years. It's just great to see a former uh, U.S. Open champ uh, back and Grand Slam champion at Wimbledon, too. On the Sticking with the men's side, uh, Novak Djokovic is a favorite, number one seed. He's playing tonight against Struff. Uh, that should be a fun match as well. Um, it's on the women's side. I'm actually just walking by right now. Sloane Stevens, a 2017 uh, U.S. Open champion. She literally just walked by me here inside Arthur Ashe Stadium, and she could be a favorite um, against Serena Williams. That's the next matchup that I think you'll be hearing on TV a lot that people are going to be circling. Uh, 
Serena against Sloan Stevens. They have played before. Um, two terrific, hard-hitting baseline players. I'm looking forward to that. As far as the Americans go, on the women's side, Sophia Kennan is the two-seed. Uh, she won the Australian Open. She's playing doubles right now with Victoria Azarenka, who's having a great tournament. Kennan's a name to keep an eye out for. She wins the Aussie Open. She backed up that performance in March in Lyon, France. Keep an eye on her in the bottom half of the draw. On the men's side, it's Novak Djokovic's tournament to lose, quite frankly. Um, Dominic team is a two-seed. He advanced. Uh, he's definitely a player to keep an eye out for uh, in the third round and moving forward. Uh, Taylor Fritz is playing right now, a young American, against uh, Shepovalov, a, a Canadian kid who's really strong lefty. Um, so for the Americans, it's you know, Fritz. Francis Tiafo is another player who won uh, his third-round matchup over John Millman. So that was great to see him get over a hurdle and get to the round of 16 for the first time in his career. Um, so I would say definitely the heavy hitters are here. There's no Roger Federer here. Uh, there's no Rafael Nadal. Uh, he put out Federer's hurt. And lastly, on the women's side, uh, the defending champion, Andrescu, withdrew for the U.S. Open. So we will see a new uh, U.S. Open champ on the men's and women's side. It's open right now, uh, circling back to your, to your question. But I would say Djokovic is my favorite on the men's side. Not surprising to a lot of people probably listening. On the women's side, I, I like Serena. Um, it's going to be a tough match against Sloane Stevens upcoming for her. But keep an eye on Sophia Kennan. Dave, everybody seems to know the, the American women who are at the top of their game and the ones that are moving up like Coco Goff. On the men's side, what have you seen or what do we have to look forward to? Not necessarily that's still in this tournament, but is the, maybe the future of te- the, the near future of tennis for Americans? Well, there's the, the big four, right, that um, everybody talks about, uh, Federer, Nadal, uh, Djokovic, Andy Murray, and there's a lot of guys that have not been able to hoist Grand Slam trophies because those four, at least one of them, keeps winning over and over and over again. So the guys that you'll be hearing about that are the next guys to come up, Alexander Zverev's the name to come to mind, um, ranked, I believe, fifth or sixth in the world right now from Germany, hard-hitting guy on both sides, uh, has a booming serve, can can either serve out wide or down the tee, Dominic team is a three-time Grand Slam runner-up. He's really seemingly gone far at the French Open every time, and Rafael Nadal is the one to, to beat him in the final there. So I really kind of feel for Dominic Team. He's going to win Grand Slam titles. Um, the American side, you know, our top-ranked American is, is John Isner right now. He lost in the first round to Stevie Johnson. Stevie Johnson then loses in the second round. There's a couple of the kids up and coming, like Taylor Fritz, um, like Francis Tiafo, Riley Opalka is a name to keep an eye out for moving forward. Uh, but quite frankly, I think a lot of these guys, like I mentioned before, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas is a Greek player, uh, really strong, one-handed backhand-like team, very dominant player. Uh, those are the names to keep an eye out for uh, moving forward. The Canadian players, there's three Canadians that have advanced uh, to at least the third round or the round of 16. Shapovalov is playing uh, right behind me. Felix Auger-Aliassim and Vasek Pospisil upset Milos Raonic. So the, here's the hard thing. To, to grasp is that Federer maybe has a couple of years left. I hope. I mean, I'm a big Federer tennis. I'm just a tennis fan in general. I love the world-class style that Roger Federer brings. Who knows how long he has left? I think Nadal's here for several years, and I also think Novak Djokovic is going to break every record. I think he's going to stay until he possibly can break all those records. So um, the guys before that are, are, are the ones to, uh, to focus on. Australia uh, has a couple of up-and-comers like Alex Menar. 
Um, and there's some others uh, from the, around the world too. But it, it's really going to be fun uh, kind of to, to watch, you know, some of these rising stars and these kids make a name for themselves. I'll tell you on the women's side, lastly, Sophia Kennan's only 21 years old. She's going to be a multi-time Grand Slam champion. Um, another player to, to kind of keep an eye out for is Jennifer Brady at this year's tournament. Probably nobody knows who she is, but she's from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. She just cruised to the round of 16. I saw her a lot, World Team Tennis at the Greenbrier, and she won her first title in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, prior to this U.S. Open. So there's a, a lot of openings. I would say it's more open on the women's side for somebody to hoist their first Grand Slam than the men's side right now. And, you know, that's what it's going to be moving forward. I think the men's going to take a little bit of time before kind of the big four uh, right off into the sunset. Well, but before I let you go, one union question real fast. Uh, yes, you won four nothing the other day, then lost one nothing. Play the Red Bulls, who fired their coach today this weekend. Thoughts on uh, where the team is right now? Love what the union are doing ever since, you know, the restart of play. And I go back to the MLS this back tournament. I thought they had a great showing. Uh, guys, quite frankly, I thought that was the opportunity for the club to hoist their first trophy in club history. You know, they, they played a team in Portland that, you know, their style might not be the most attractive style because they don't want the ball. They sit back and then they're going to hit you on the breaking counter. And they just had the horses when they played the ball direct up top that hurt the union in that game. So I think if the union can become a more efficient road team, they had what, like six wins last year, the regular season. If they can continue that in all these phases of soccer, and hopefully we get to, you know, we're playing all these six phases and then get to the playoffs. I think our team can make a run. I, I, I noticed that there were some power rankings on MLS soccer. There's a lot of talk about that. And I think the union, what, we're, we're slated at number three. I think that shows what the players have done, what Jim Curtin has done. And, and, and this is not a team that's spending three to $5 million on multiple positions out there. There's a lot of depth. And I say this when I'm doing play-by-play or pre-half post. Uh, you have, you know, veterans like uh, Bedoya and Andre Blake mixed in with the youth of Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie, um, mixed in with a few others like paying the $2 million from Mets for Jamiro Montero. And you need Casper Shabilko to score goals. I think a lot of union fans are starving for more production out of your, out of your strikers, out of your number nine. And is there someone that can complement Casper Shabilko and be as consistent? Sergio Santos? needs to be more consistent. Andrew Vutin needs to just, quite frankly, score goals. He'd had one goal in Portland, but it didn't count towards the regular season. So if we can do that, I think we have a solid back line. I think Jose Martinez is playing out of his mind right now as a deep line number six in the base of the diamond. But we need our attacking guys to flourish moving forward. I think this team, just given the circumstances and the, the limited travel playing regional opponents, we have a great chance to not only be a top three team in the East, which is where I would put ourselves, but to also make a run in the MLS playoffs. But it's up to the team to take care of business on the road, just like they do at home. And, and to your Chris Armas point, lastly, I was really surprised at that. I thought they, they really bought into Chris and Dennis Hamlet, their sporting director. Um, I know they've kind of struggled a little bit from the MLS's back tournament and then this restart of play, but, you know, that's a different team for them. No more Luis Robles, no more Bradley Wright Phillips. Kamar Lawrence is gone there. I remember doing the play-by-play of that match, and, you know, they're playing a lot of kids. It doesn't look like kind of the Red Bulls teams of the past. So I think a lot is changing there, and I think they're going to rework some things over the Red Bulls. But, hey, hats off to our union team. They're, you know, I would have liked to see a different result at Columbus, but hopefully they take care of business uh, against the Red Bulls. And moving forward into phase two, you know, come out, 
and just keep it riding and stay at, as close to the top of the East as they can. Man of all sports, Dave Leno. We'll look forward to your call of the U.S. Open. Always appreciate the time. You have a good one, man. Gentlemen, you too. Thanks for having me. Jeff, I've only actually gone to the U.S. Open once. I went with my wife a few years ago, and it was just so cool to be there. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like with no people there. Tennis is not my favorite sport. I like it, but it is one of my favorite events to go to. It is, it is like Dave said, you can, you for 60 bucks or whatever, you get this pass and it's not to go into Arthur Ashe stadium. You have to pay a different amount for those kind of things, but you can still see some of the stars. Not, I mean, not, you're not going to see the, not, you're not going to see Serena on one of the back courts, but you'll see up and coming stars on those back courts. And you are literally right up against them. Jeff, we got about a minute left, uh, maybe a little more, but I did want to give you a second. Uh, one of your childhood heroes, you obviously grew up in Northern New Jersey, uh, Tom Seaver passed away this week. Uh, you want to say anything about that? I'll, I'll give you the last words on the show. I, I will tell you, as, as I mean, as a, as a kid, there was no better pitcher, no better person than Tom Seaver. I mean, if you talk about the Mets, as much as we don't like the Mets down here, he is the greatest Met of all time and one of the greatest pitchers of all time, bar none. Um, the way he pitched was just so iconic that – you know, I, I don't think the Mets have done a lot right these days, but them coming out with dirt on their knees uh, was, was an amazing. It really was. It was a touching thing to do. And for people that don't understand why Tom Seaver's back leg actually dragged on the mound when he pitched, he pitched with his legs and it was just amazing to watch the way that he pitched. Uh, oh, uh, any was, last thoughts before I go say goodbye to everybody? Who are you saying goodbye to? Everybody. Oh, then you go go, go ahead. Flyers, game seven. Don't miss it. Don't miss the Kentucky Derby. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.